I want to thank the watchmen also for being here. They're going to be with us in the next service and then be with the high schoolers during Sunday school this morning at 11.15. And thanks to those of you who helped in hosting them. Would you open your Bible, please, with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Our text today begins in the middle of verse 16 and concludes with the first verse of chapter 7. For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I recall when I was a young boy the excitement of going to family reunions. Some of you will be going to reunions in a couple of weeks or later on in the summer, and there you will see family members that you've not seen for a long time and you might even wish you wouldn't see again. I don't know. If it's like most families, that might be the case with one or two. But I can remember as a young boy the excitement that I felt when I realized that I had cousins and began to understand what cousins were all about. Cousins were more than friends. One who was my cousin was someone who was blood-related to me. My grandpa and grandpa were their grandpa and grandpa. There was a relationship among us that did not exist among my friends and myself. The relationship of family is a very important one. Although we have to admit, sadly, that it's missing in our society today far too often. Families become separated because of our mobility. I grieve that my children do not have the same sense of family that I grew up with because they live so far from their cousins and their aunts and uncles. And of course, in addition to that, we're facing the phenomenon of families that are disintegrating. And so to many children, the word family becomes really a confusing term. They're not exactly sure what family refers to. Several years ago, David Clatterbuck, who teaches Christian education at Northwestern College, was speaking to a group of our leaders at the church and talked with us about a healthy family. And he gave to us a, a, a list of characteristics of a healthy family. One way to measure a healthy family is the number of people in the nuclear family itself and in the immediate circle of intimate acquaintances. The closest friends or other family members, 
that live right in the area. Sociologists have found that if a family is going to be a healthy family, it needs to have at least 25 to 30 people in the nuclear family and in the immediate association of the nuclear family. And they've found that an unhealthy family will have only 10 to 15 such relationships. That presents a dilemma, especially to those of us who have moved from our roots. Whereas those who have lived in an area for a long time have families that they can go see and they have long-time associates and friends that they accompany with for the holidays and other special occasions. Those who move around from place to place don't always have those kinds of benefits. That's one reason that our family has especially appreciated being part of a flock this last year, where we've been able to get to know some other families in our church on a more intimate level. It's very important for us to have those kinds of relationships in order to be a healthy family. Healthy family relationships provide guidelines as well as management for times of stress and uh, times when assistance is needed. When we have those kinds of relationships, there are positive uh, supports that come to us, and we all need those. I looked up the word relationship, since that's what I'm talking about this morning in the dictionary, and I found that a synonym of the word relationship, according to Webster, is the word connection. And I thought to myself how up-to-date this dictionary is, even though I bought it 20 years ago. A relationship is a connection by blood or marriage. Or a relationship is kinship. So a relationship is a connection. That's different than a conjunction. In recent days, we have observed something that people on the earth have not seen for about 600 years. In the evening sky, we have seen three planets come into what is called conjunction. They're in the same part of the sky, a beautiful sight. But that's only from our perspective, because actually those planets are as far away from one another as they ever are. But from our perspective, they come together in conjunction. But that's not a connection. A connection is when there is an actual tie. A popular term coined these days to communicate the same idea is the word network. Network is a noun in my dictionary, but in more recent years it's also become a verb. Have you been networked? Oh, I'm networked into this company or into this church. That means that we have established relationships. Now one can have an appropriate number of relationships and yet still miss the single most crucial one and that is the relationship with God. Our relationship with God was broken when humanity fell into sin. God in his marvelous loving kindness worked through his son Jesus Christ to restore the possibility of relationship once again. 
Sin broke the relationship between us and God, but through the cross of Jesus Christ, God worked so that we might once again have relationship with him. John summarizes it this way. In the first chapter of his gospel, he says, But as many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Children of God, that's one way of saying relationship. Our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 pictures that relationship with God in a couple of ways. Notice that it is, first of all, pictured as a temple. God says, we are the temple of the living God. And notice that he then makes three statements regarding this temple as an illustration of his relationship to those who trust Christ. He says, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Three statements. Elaborating upon this illustration of ourselves being the temple of God. What a wonderful illustration of relationship with God. I will dwell in them. Perhaps as the apostle is writing this, he is reminded of that dwelling of God in the Old Testament that we call the tabernacle, that tent of a meeting place that was constructed by Moses and skilled craftsmen after the pattern that God gave to them, that temple that they carried from place to place as they marched as a people in the wilderness, that that tabernacle that was set up in the midst of all of their camp. It was there that God dwelled. It was there that he settled down and was at home amongst his people. Now, God says, we are his dwelling place. We, as a body of people, become the tent of meeting, as it were, where God dwells, where God is at home. And he says, I will walk among them. I will walk among them. God did not do that in the Old Testament. God was confined, as it were, to the the tent of meeting because the rest of the, the campground was unsanctified. It was that area that was set apart for the tabernacle, the tent. And it was appropriately sprinkled with blood and prepared so that God might dwell there. But God did not walk among his people. He dwelt in the middle of them. But God says now that he walks among us. Why is that? Because we have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. We have been sanctified by the work of God. We have been set apart so that God is pleased not only to dwell in us, but to walk amongst us as his people. And then he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Notice the possessive pronouns 
in that statement. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, God then belongs to us in a possessive sense, and we, we belong to him. God says, I want you to know that there is a relationship between you and me. And that relationship is illustrated in this truth. You are the temple of the living God. You see, salvation is not about going to church. Salvation is not about performing rituals or doing sacraments in a building somewhere. But salvation is connection. Salvation is relationship with the living God of the universe. A relationship that is established by faith. There's a second illustration in our text of this relationship between the believer and God. And it is the illustration of a family. God says, I will welcome you, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Again, three statements. I will welcome you. Is there any word in our language that communicates welcome any more than the word family? When you go to see family, you know you're going to be welcome there because you are a part of the same bloodline. There is a relationship. God says, I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. On this Father's Day, 1991, It is good for we who are fathers to remember that God calls himself our father. And he gives to us something of a pattern that we are to follow in our lives as dads in this world. And thirdly, God says, you will be my sons and daughters. And we think of the family relationship. And God is our father. And we as children, there are three thoughts that come to mind. When we think of father, we think of progenitor. One who gives life. I knew my father only for eight years. He died when I was eight years old. And I have but few, precious, few remembrances of him. But I do respect him, though I have few memories, because I know that he is my progenitor. He is the one who, along with my mother in their love, gave me life. That's why God calls himself our father, because he is the one who gives us life when we trust in Christ. When we think of father, we think of one who is provider. One who is to meet the needs of wife and children. 
Ephesians 5, when it says, Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. It means that just as Jesus gave himself to provide for the church, we are to give ourselves to provide for our wives and our children. And God does that. He's our provider. When we think of God as our Father, we think of him also as our protector. A father is a protector of his family. He has that sense, that innate sense of of responsibility for family, to protect. And so does God. God hides us, to use another illustration, under his wings. We dwell in the secret place of the Almighty. Do you see why God uses this particular illustration when he wants to describe relationship to us? I'll be your father. And you're my son. You're my daughter. Means that he gives us life. He provides our needs. He keeps us safe. Because we are his sons and daughters, we bear his likeness morally. And we have an inheritance that is an eternal one that is coming one day because we're in Christ. What a wonderful relationship God makes possible through Jesus. Sin separated us from God. It destroyed the original relationship between God and humanity. But now through Jesus Christ, God has provided that there might be relationship again when we trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. That relationship has some responsibilities with it. In our text, God enumerates two of them. He says, Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. When we have a new relationship with God, it means a change in our old relationships. God says, Come out and be separate. In the previous verses, he elaborated on that a bit. Do not be bound together, he says, with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Have you ever been involved in a partnership where there wasn't uh, equality? Where there was on the part of one side or the other a failure to keep the partnership equal? It's disastrous. God says, what relationship is there between righteousness and unrighteousness? What fellowship, he says, what communion is there with light and darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? That's a word for Satan. The word harmony in the text here is the Greek word symphonesis. And uh, if you listen to that, you hear the word symphony. He says Christ and Satan cannot be in symphony together. And he says, what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? 
And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Some very pointed questions that he asks before he says to us, by way of command, come out and be separate. And yet the drive among so many of the contemporary Christians these days is to go in and be as much like the world as you can be. Imbibe in it, compromise with it, accommodate yourself to it. And God says, no, no, we're in relationship. Therefore, you must come out and be separate. And in verse 1 of chapter 7, he puts it this way. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit. We are forbidden by God to enter into intimate spiritual bonds or other kinds of intimate bonds with unbelievers. That includes marriage. It includes business partnerships. It doesn't mean a believer can't work for an unbeliever or that a believer can't hire unbelievers, but there's not to be a partnership because there's inequality there and it leads to trouble. Cleanse ourselves, he says. Let us cleanse ourselves once and for all as a peremptory act. Let's cleanse ourselves from all defilement, whether it be of the flesh, the body, the outward actions, or it be of the spirit, the attitudes of the heart, those things that are hidden, the thought processes. Cleanse ourselves. Perfecting holiness. Perfecting it as a way of life. It's a process, you see. It's something that we don't do in an instant of time. Oh, if only we could. But it is a process of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I would say this to you today, that we, in the 1990s, who call ourselves Christians tend to be far too laid back in our understanding of God. We are too laid back with God. And we need to recapture the idea that there is a reason to fear Him, to have a holy and awful reverence for this one who is in relationship with us. And who says, you are my temple, you are my children, and I am your father. And who says, come out and be separate, be different. And cleanse yourself from the defilement of the world, the culture in which you live. Peter says it this way, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession." that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Relationship. 
He goes on to say, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. A change you see in our relationships in the world. Now we're aliens and strangers here. I urge you to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage against the soul. One of the good gifts of God, and that's our theme for this summer, one of the good gifts of God is the gift of relationship. Relationship is a privilege, and with the privilege comes responsibility. The royal family of England has a good handle on what that means. For the people who are born into that family are born into a relationship with a nation. And it is a relationship that entails a great deal of privilege. They are unbelievably wealthy. They have holdings and land and estates that can hardly be calculated. Palaces in which to live, jewels to wear, pomp and circumstance wherever they go. Privilege. But with the privilege, hear me, with that privilege comes a tremendous responsibility. A responsibility to live a certain way. A responsibility to use their time a certain way. They are not their own. They belong to the nation. You see, the relationship defines the way in which they must conduct themselves. And so it is with God's royal family. So it is with God's royal family. There are external demands that are made upon us because we belong to God. Come out and be separate. Cleanse yourself from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, with those demands, God provides an internal dynamic so that the change is produced from the inside out, not forced from the outside in. One of the good gifts of God is the privilege of relationship. And one who enters into that relationship experiences a connection with the living God. And because of that connection, life can never be the same again. With that privilege comes responsibility to live for God. Let's pray together. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and as the Spirit of God brings to our hearts the point of this message, just two questions. Number one, do you have a relationship with God? Have you received Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior and Lord? Have you connected with God, or is there still a separation because of your sin? 
Would you today trust in Christ so that your sin might be forgiven and that relationship might be established? Right where you're seated, you can do that. And those of us who can be called the sons and daughters of God, have we lately pondered our responsibility? Have you considered how you may have compromised with the world? How you may have come into some kind of an intimate partnership or union with the lost in a way that displeases God? Would you today commit yourself to come out and be separate? To live differently? To cleanse yourself from what defiles you? Tell him so. Tell God that right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is not a friend like you. Thank you for dying for us, for calling us to be your own people, for dwelling in us and walking amongst us. May we, in the fear of the Lord, cleanse ourselves and come out and be separate. Write upon our hearts that privilege entails responsibility. I pray that you will send us on our way today rejoicing that we can call you Father and know the intimacy of that relationship with you as a reality in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.